You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. Good morning. We will not be covering the story of Mary and Jeremy this morning, (laughs) nor of how babies get in belly. So you guys are in luck. I know there's kiddos in the room. It's good to see you guys. Real quick, kiddos, if you did not grab a candy cane, you can come forward and grab a candy cane real quick. I'm going to tell you briefly the story of the candy cane. It's a tradition we do every year. So if you did not grab one, kiddos, come grab one. And, and then just stay right up here for just a second, okay? All right, there we go, there we go. All right, so real quick, maybe you've never heard this, but the story of the candy cane, it said that it was developed in the 18th century by a candy maker. And it's in the shape of a shepherd's staff because Jesus is our ultimate shepherd. And if you flip it upside down, it represents a J. It's hard because Jesus is our rock. And then the red and white stripes represent this, that through Christ's blood, we have the forgiveness of sins. And then we have purity where Christ cleanses us. Okay. And I think there's some other cool things about it, but I'm blanking on it. And you guys might be asking, is the story of the candy cane real? I'll level with you guys. I've done some research, and I'm not sure. It seems like it is. Some of your parents are involved in uh, multi-level marketing schemes involving essential oils, and I can assure you it's more real than that, okay? (laughs) All right, so you guys can head back to your seats, and we'll get started. And if you would, turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. If this is your first time visiting, we're honored to have you as our guest, and we want to make this clear. Our church exists to make Jesus the hero. It doesn't exist to make myself or anyone else the hero. And so if you're here wondering why do we exist, that's why we exist. We are simple, but what we want to do is not try and win people with a lot of attractional stuff. We want to win people with the greatest message ever, and that's the gospel of grace. It's the gospel we're going to be preaching today. And so Luke chapter 4 is not a typical Christmas morning, Christmas Eve passage, but it's where we're going to be at today. I'm excited to dive into it with you guys. So turn there with me to Luke chapter 4. Verse 16, the main point for today is this, the gift we actually need. So if you walk away remembering one thing, it's this, it's the gift that we actually need. God gives us the gift that we actually need. Everyone can remember that one time you laid eyes on your first true love. I remember it all too well. I was amazed as I looked upon her. There she was, flawless and majestic. It was truly, it it truly was. It was love at first sight. I embraced her and then stared again. Slightly tan and smooth. Oh, I couldn't help but dream of our first date when I would finally get to take my youth model 20-gauge shotgun out on a duck hunt with my dad. Seven years old, that is the gift I wanted for Christmas, and it's the gift I received. Here's the reality. That gift bypassed every other gift. There's other gifts that were given to me, probably gifts I needed, like underwear and clothes that I would need to wear to school. But the gift that I got was that ultimate gift that I wanted. And oftentimes on Christmas morning, you can watch kids open up Christmas presents and they tear through packages and there's just a drain of excitement when they open a box and see clothes. But every parent is thankful that relatives or someone else bought them a pair of clothes because they actually know that's the gift that they'll actually need for school, or to wear on a daily basis. And so, ultimately, we have tons of wants and tons of desires, but what God gives us is what we ultimately need. 
And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. God giving us his son, Jesus coming as a baby in a manger is God saying, I know what you want, but I ultimately know what you need. And that's what I've provided. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the birth of your son. Jesus, thank you for coming to rescue rebels, ragamuffins. Thank you that your gospel takes us where we are and then transforms our lives. Thank you for grace that I pray would melt every heart in this room. I know we have many family members today in this room that are grieving loss, that are going through some sort of pain and suffering. Many who are sick, many who are ill. Jesus, we serve a God who stepped into humanity and knows what grief feels like, what pain feels like, what sickness feels like, all of those things, Lord. You are acquainted with grief. And we praise you for that. But we praise you for the ultimate rescue, the rescue that we really needed, and for Jesus, you giving us what we truly need. Let that be clear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, we're going to be looking at the gift that we truly need. Parents, I recognize this. This will not be a long sermon. There are kids in the room. Know that I can handle. I have three of my own. And so if you're distracted, just know your kids are fine. I can hang in there with it. So let's enjoy their presence with us today. And if you come back next week, typically our kids are going to be in the GCC kids area and I'm not going to be in a suit. So I don't want to bait and switch you. And so there you go. So, all right. Luke chapter four, verse six, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth talking about Jesus where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he, began, and he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, God sends his only son to come. What we need to at least wrestle with is this. Whether you're in this room today and you're a Christian or not a Christian, maybe you're brand new to this whole message, anything like that, you have to at least acknowledge this, that there is no greater human, no greater person in all of human history than Jesus Christ. Divided time. You at least have to wrestle with who this person is and what he has done. There's been so-called great leaders throughout human history. You can look at people like Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan, all these men who conquered off the backs of others and off the bloodshed of others. Jesus comes to us sharing good news, which is the gospel. He conquers, is victorious, and is lifted up throughout human history off the back of his own work and off of his own bloodshed, and that's it. Drastically and radically different than anyone else in human history. We have to do something with him. So the question is this, why was Jesus here? Why did God come, and what was he doing here on this earth? You can't debate anymore whether Jesus was here. You can't debate whether he was crucified. The question becomes, why was he here, and what was he doing? That's a question that all of us should be willing to wrestle with. As we look at the text today, we recognize this. Jesus has already been born. He was born in a manger. The angel appeared to shepherds in the field. That in itself is amazing. 
Why? Shepherds were nomadic people. They were outsiders. When God brings the story of Christianity and the good news of his son's birth, who does he appear to? The broken, blue-collared outcast living outside of the city, who the world is in some ways rejected. He says, you guys are going to be the messengers to carry this. He appears to a humble woman named Mary, to the Magi, and he comes. Already at the outset, we're going, man, shouldn't you have uh, chosen someone like a Pharisee, like a scholar? No. Already, right out of the gate, God is choosing to show us that he saves by grace. What is grace? Grace is an unmerited gift. It's something that you don't deserve. If you can lay claim to anything you do, you don't have grace. For instance, if I went screaming down Willamette Street at 100 miles per hour and the officer pulled me over, now, if he chose not to give me a ticket, that would be mercy. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about grace. If the officer said, here's the keys to my car and my home, that would be grace. Something I don't deserve and something I can't lay any claim to other than my racing down It would be something that would be mind-blowing to me and would not make sense. And in a lot of ways, the message of Christianity of good news doesn't make sense to people. The message of Christianity is the gospel. What is the gospel? It's good news. It's good news. So say it with me so that you understand it, because I want you to be able to, whether you believe in Christianity, accept it or reject it, I want you to understand. The foundational, fundamental message of Christianity is the gospel, and the gospel is good news. Say good news. Good job. That's what we believe. Let's, let's look at the text in a little more detail. Jesus shows up to Nazareth, and he does what he's accustomed to doing. He goes to synagogue, and he does this weekly. Some of you, we get to see twice a year, and we're thankful for that. But Jesus does it regularly. God himself, and that's not a guilt thing. It's just a reality. God himself in human flesh made it a weekly appoint to go to synagogue. So he's there. He's handed the scroll. He takes out the scroll. And then he reads from the prophet Isaiah. Now, if you read the book of Isaiah, what you have to understand through there is Israel's going through a really dark time, and they need a Messiah. They need a rescuer. They need a savior because they're under Assyrian captivity and Babylonian captivity. And so there's a couple glimpses in the book of Isaiah where we read through it and go, whoa, when is this person going to come? So Jesus reads it, and and, and he reads from Isaiah and says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. Stop there. The Spirit of God fills Jesus Christ. And we might think, to do what? To instantly work a miracle? He does plenty of those. But the Spirit of God anoints Jesus to do this primarily, to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus is primary mission was to uh, proclaim the good news, that's the gospel, to the poor. Who are the poor? You could read this text and think this is about a political revolution, an economic revolution. You could think it's about a social revolution. But as we read throughout scripture, we have to understand this, that when Jesus says that he came to proclaim good news to the poor, he actually meant those who are poor in spirit. When he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, which means this, if you are spiritually bankrupt, and you don't rest in your own morality. You don't rest in anything that you can do or bring to the table. You are prime for the gospel of good news. You see, Jesus came to rescue the poor. That's not to say that if you have monetary wealth that you can't be rescued. We see later on in this chapter that he does rescue those. It's to say that ultimately, Christ came as the chief physician to heal those that recognize I'm sick 
and cannot heal myself spiritually and morally. That's who he first came to, to proclaim good news, the gospel good news to the poor. And then it says, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. That word liberty means forgiveness or release or deliverance to the captives. What are we held captive to? We're held captive to our bondage of sin. So the question is, what did Jesus come to earth to do to provide the greatest gift that we actually need? But Matthew 1, 21 tells us, it says this, Mary, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to earth to save people from their sins. Our greatest need is that we have rebelled against the holy God. What you don't need from the preacher is some sort of inspirational message to get you through this next week. What you need to hear is that as human beings, every human being on earth in all of human history have rebelled against God. We call that sin. And it has separated us from God. And so when Jesus comes to give us the greatest gift of our greatest need, what he's coming to do is do something with our spiritual sinful state before a holy God. To rescue the poor, those spiritually bankrupt, and to set free those that are held captive by their sin. As a father of three kids, almost every time our kids get in a fight, we hear something happen, we call them into the room. I'm like, bring it on in, bring it on in, bring it on in. I'm like, what happened? The, it, the, they're pointing every direction, but never this way, right? And it's a he did this, and she did this, and, and bam, 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 bam. Now, when adults come into my office, that are married and are going through conflict. What's the very same thing that they do? They point the finger the other direction. You see, our greatest struggle in life exists inside of us. And it's our sinful nature. We love to think that it's some system that exists out inside the world that needs to be overthrown. We love to think that it's this and this person or this and this person that makes me act the way that I do. But the reality of what the Bible says is that we need to be rescued on the inside is that we need to be forgiven and released from our captive state of sinful idolatry. It's not popular because we want to live with this thought that we're really good people. Yet scripture says something else. And then it says, Jesus came to give the gift that we need to proclaim good news to the poor and to set the captives free. The other thing that we're held captive to is bitterness, resentment, and stubborn, which will destroy our lives. We were hiking yesterday, with our kiddos, I won't name names right now, but one of them was struggling with stubborn bitterness because things didn't go their way. And so I was explaining to them that this isn't going to work out the way you think it is. Like you think by hanging on to this, that it's going to produce this. But in fact, all it's doing is just sucking the joy out of your life. It didn't land, but I thought it, I, was on, I was on a good trajectory. It, he goes on to say, to recover the sight of the blind. It's not just talking about physical blindness. It's talking about those that are spiritually blind who can't see that they need to be rescued. The most offensive thing I can tell you today and and, and tell Westerners living in the 21st century is you actually need to be rescued because people go, no, 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 I don't. I'm a pretty good person. And the most offensive thing to tell you is that you are incapable of saving yourself, that we're born spiritually blind, that we need the forgiveness that only Christ offers. And then it says that he came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. What does that mean? Those that are abused. Jesus came to do something, not just with the sins that we commit, but also with the sins that are committed against us. 
And then it says in verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years was the year of Jubilee. That means as a Jewish person, if, if you had accrued any debt, if you had uh, uh, sold yourself into slavery to pay off that debt, you were released from any debt you had and you were restored with your property. What Jesus is saying is the ultimate Jubilee is here, is the ultimate salvation, the ultimate gift you need, I and bringing in. I'm fulfilling it. The captivity, the liberty, the blindness, all that stuff, I'm here to deal with all of that. And that's the primary message of Christianity. It's the message of God's grace stepping into humanity to rescue rebels and ragamuffins by his grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then it says this in 29. I'm sorry, 20. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. This, isn't, this doesn't mean it was over. In Jewish synagogue, when Jesus sat down, that's how they taught. He would sit down in his chair that was elevated, and then everyone would sit and listen. And now they were ready for a sermon. This is when the sermon would be given. Here's the shortest sermon. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That was his sermon. That was it. Jesus said, the captivity, the oppression, the abuse, the forgiveness, all those things that you need, have been fulfilled by my presence here on this earth to provide the ultimate rescue and give the gift that you ultimately need. Let me make this clear. The the good news of grace is not for the man who thinks he is right with God because he has been faithful to his wife, nor is the gospel of grace for the woman who thinks she has God's approval because she takes good care of the home and serves her husband. The gospel of grace is not for the person who trusts in the right standing because they don't use profanity. The gospel of grace is not for the person who stands in their education or for the person who stands in their knowledge of the Bible or theology. Certainly the thief on the cross didn't have time to grow in his theological understanding. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. It is not for the person who stands in and trusts in their holy lifestyle or the person who trusts in their social and humanitarian efforts. It is not for the person who trusts in their family lineage or the person who trusts in how well they exercise self-control. The gospel of grace is not for anyone who stands in anything they do or don't do. In fact, if you trust in anything you do, any drop of sweat, any action, any success, any failure, any ounce or drip of work or earning, you are trusting and resting in something else that is not the gospel of grace or the message of Christianity, period. It is for the person whose complete rest, trust, and standing is not anything they do or don't do in this life, but it's in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on their behalf. It isn't a message of behave, it's a message of believe. It's not a message of do, it's a message of what's been done. You see, we're left having to do something with Jesus. We either need to kill him like they're attempting to do here and throw him off a cliff if you keep reading, or you have to bow the knee because who he proclaims to be is not just a prophet, If he was just a prophet, he could have said, you have the law, just obey it. But the law is not capable of saving and transforming our hearts and lives. Only grace can do that. He could have said, just obey the law, but we're incapable of doing that. If he was just a wise sage, like some people like to say, he could have said, read the wisdom literature I provided in the Old Testament. But he wasn't just that. Jesus Christ came saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way unto salvation except by me. Picture this. As, as we come to a close, the reason why the gospel of grace is so counterculture is this. We view life through the lens of what we work for is what we should earn. If you go to a fast food restaurant, 
you pay at the first window expecting that after you pay, you get your food at the second window. You'd be rightfully disappointed if that didn't happen at the second window. You should view the gospel, though, of God's grace as like five-star dining. Everything is given to you. It's lavish. It's amazing. It's, it's beautiful. It's all given to you. But, but you're like, yeah, but at the end, I have to pay for it. But someone comes along and then says, I got the tab paid in full. You could also think through it of like a credit score. We are born with an awful credit score in debt, a debt that we can't pay off, a debt that we can't climb our way out through our best moral efforts. God sends his son to live the life that you and I could not live. He walks in complete obedience. And here's what is horrific. In a shame, honor culture, like Jesus stepped into in the Greco-Roman, everything was about building a name and fame for yourself. You avoided shame at all costs. Jesus was stripped naked. He was flogged, beaten with 40 lashes, carrying a cross up a hill, enduring the shame that that would have brought to him and to his family. Why? So that we no longer have to bear the shame of the things that have been done to us or the sins that we have committed. We no longer have to bear guilt because Christ on the cross was declared guilty on our behalf. Through faith, we are declared righteous and innocent and perfect, and that will never change. Christ comes along and says, take my credit score, it's perfect, and give me yours. It's broken and awful, and let's exchange, and that's what happens. And here's the beautiful thing. You can never change the score that Christ gives you. It's yours for all eternity. That means on your worst days, it doesn't drop. On your best days, it doesn't climb. That's not a reflection of God's love or the message of Christianity. What he did is accomplished. It's set. It's done. What you can do is rest, believe, and celebrate all of it. Three days later, he walked out of the tomb, proving everything he said to be true. And then he ascended to the right hand of God where he sat down and said, it's done. My work is complete. You can rest in it. You can trust in it. The gospel is so radical that we have to recognize what it does. We have people in this room that come from all different walks of life. We have people in this room that are doctors, people in this room who listen to Dr. Dre. We have people in this room that are educated, people in this room who are not educated. We have people in this room who are hunters and fishermen and outdoorsmen and people who are not. We have people in this room who are carnivores, and we have people in this room who are carnivores. (laughs) We have people from all different walks and spheres of life, honestly, that only one person in all of human history is powerful enough to bring them all together, and that is Jesus Christ and the message that he came to proclaim. You haven't done it. You haven't measured up. I'm here on this earth doing what you cannot do, and I'm doing it for you. And we rest in what he's done, not in what we do. Jesus came to save ragamuffins and rebels. And that's really good news. But what he also does is provide comfort. I know some of you guys are going through horrific seasons, and this is the first Christmas you've spent without a loved one in your life. Christ ultimately provided the greatest gift that we need by saving and rescuing us and reconciling us to God. That's the good news. But he also makes his promise that I'm with you through whatever you're going through, and I'm working everything for your good and for his glory which is good news. What is our application here? Repent and believe in God's unfailing grace. We'll be celebrating that for eternity. And I would say this, it's a loving challenge for some of you guys. Come, spend the next three months investigating the claims of Christianity. 
We're here today. Come back next week. We're diving back in, or in two weeks, back into the book of Romans that we're working through. I would encourage you, come spend time wrestling with who Christ is and what the message of Christianity is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the greatest gift that we need. Thank you for your son, we pray in Jesus' name.